0: this is jack and you're listening to good for now if you want to learn more listen to our back catalog or subscribe visit us at gfnpodcast.com again that's gfnpodcast.com The Feel Good Foundation website reads, quote, the mission of the Feel Good Foundation is to assist all emergency personnel, including but not limited to firefighters, police officers, nurses, volunteers, sanitation workers, transportation workers, and construction workers within the United States who have been injured or face serious injury due to action or omission in the course of their duties or within their everyday lives, end quote. With me today, to discuss the origins of the Feel Good Foundation, the long road to passing the James Zadroga 9-11 Health and Compensation Act, and its most recent battle advocating for veterans affected by toxic burn pits, is president of the Feel Good Foundation, John Field. John, welcome to Good for Now.
1: Thank you for having me, and uh, um, I love the work that you guys are doing, and um, I'm I'm excited to be here. And uh, while I might not show it or sound like it, I had surgery yesterday. But this has been circled on my calendar, so um, I look forward to um, sharing uh, my experience and story with you.
0: I'm really looking forward to it and and, and appreciative. I know that you had uh, surgery yesterday, and uh, you're an absolute champ for doing this. And I wanted to start with, you were a leading voice for years trying to persuade Congress to pass the, Z- the James Zadroga 9-11 Health and Compensation Act, providing health care coverage to first responders who worked at Ground Zero after 9-11. Uh, what was your path, the path that you took to go from a demolition supervisor injured at Ground Zero to a legislative advocate?
1: Yeah. So, you know, uh, great question. Um You know, I've done about 1,500 interviews over the last 16, 17 years, and um, I don't really ever talk about myself. But my story pales in comparison um, to those who are sick and dying or who have died. And um, I'm just lucky enough and humble enough to be able to be a voice in the 9-11 community. With that being said, um, I'm not a first responder. I'm a 9-11 responder. And a lot of times I get yelled at by people for correcting them. Because uh, first responders are reserved for firefighters, police officers, EMS, and anybody that wore the uniform. 9/11 responders are those um, that second wave of the unions and the tradesmen and the volunteers that came in. Um, and uh, you know, just you know, I'm not only an advocate and the founder and the president of the Feel Good Foundation. I'm I I look at myself as an historian, and I like uh, when the story's told. And, you know, next year when we're on the 20-year anniversary, which will be highlighted more than a 19-year anniversary, um, I just want to make sure that uh, it's accurate when people tell their stories. Um, but, you know, uh, 12 hours after the towers came down, my story started. That day, like every other, everybody else, um, I heard what happened over radio or watched it on TV. I never went home. I went to my office and uh the owner of the company and myself uh we loaded up uh heavy equipment and we got a poor car police scored to ground zero we got down there about 12 hours after it happened and um my first initial reaction was um I was in amazement and awe and not for the not for good but um your mind's not programmed to wake up and see that kind of destruction and devastation and carnage. it just you're just not and um I worked there for five and a half days before I was horribly injured. And um, I I want everybody to know that injury, while gruesome and horrific, um, doesn't define me, nor does my five and a half days at ground zero. Um, I didn't need 9-11 to know right from wrong. I needed 9-11 and my injury, basically, to show everybody how my mother raised me. And my mother was my... My mother, my father, my best friend, my rock, my confidant, my everything. And um, she passed away in 2006. And she's smarter in passing than when she was alive because we take for granted what our parents tell us. And um, I'm going to live my life accordingly to my last several conversations with her. Um, But on September 17th, roughly 8,000 pounds of steel crushed my left foot. And I spent 11 weeks in the hospital with gangrene and became septic. Um, And I fought for my life. And I wound up losing half of my left foot. Um, And at the time, it was devastating. But um, the injury itself was humbling. The 11 weeks in the hospital was humbling. Going from 185 pounds, thinking... I was the world's best weekend athlete ever, thinking I was Bo Jackson and John Wayne and I was invincible, humbled me. So when I left the hospital at 120 pounds, I knew not only was there something physically wrong with me and that I would have to go to therapy to learn how to walk again, I knew there was something mentally wrong with me. I was diagnosed by two doctors in the hospital with post-traumatic, but I went to uh, therapy right away. And um, for two and a half years, I did EMDR, and if, if I didn't do that while I was going to physical therapy, um, I don't know where I'd be today.
0: What is EMDR?
1: Um, it's a it's like therapy, and they use sound, sight, touch, smell. I I chose sound, and um, uh, you know, they took me past nine eleven. They took me all the way back to my childhood, and um, I learned to cope were not just my injury, but those that mindset that I had leading up to my injury. Um, You know, before nine eleven, I cried once, or maybe twice when I was born. I don't remember that, Um, but I cried once my whole life that I can even remember. Now I I know it's okay to cry, and you know I've been to one hundred eighty six funerals over the last several years, so I cry a lot. Um, But it saved my life. And I learned how to walk again. You know, I didn't have the Feel Good Foundation to help John feel. John feel had to go through so much pain and suffering and turmoil to be able to create the Feel Good Foundation. And myself and the foundation, um, we were just a reaction to the lack of action taken by the state, local and federal governments. Um, they didn't sense our urgency. So when I was going to therapy and I learned how to cope with everything, um, I was then going to support groups where there would be other nine eleven responders and volunteers and and you know the old saying and I hate to cliche. It, There's always somebody worse off than you. Man, it, it, it smacked me up until so I decided ahead. I'm sitting there and I'm feeling sorry for myself and you you got all of these men and women, uniform and non uniform who had invisible diseases. I had nothing to prove. Half of my foot was in a jaw. I had a documented injury. But so many people were getting sick and they had a hard time proving it. And at that time, when I was going to support groups, I was fighting for my own benefits like Workman's Comp, Social Security. The federal government already deemed me unqualified for the first Victims Compensation Fund because I got hurt after 96 hours and it wasn't a terrorist attack anymore. And at that time, it was devastating. Because I worked hard, I played hard, and the morning before I got hurt, I was deciding on what vehicle to drive to work that day. I had a Corvette, I had a a Ford Expedition, I had a Jeep, and I had a Harley-Davidson. I was 34 years old, living the good life, and that all went away. You know, and I look back now when I, I sold everything to keep a roof over my head, those were materialistic things. You know, I spent 11 weeks in the hospital laying on my back, counting sealant tile. And um, that's a game changer. It's a life changer. I now know what I need, what I don't need, what I want. And, um, you know, I see different. I smell different. I hear different. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they get sick and they stay in bed for two days and they feel like they missed everything. Um Try 11 weeks, and I'm sure there are those who have probably spent more than me, and maybe they appreciate life a little more. You know, there's an old saying, um, and it's usually passed down through general generational advice, and, uh, you know, it's like a drunk uncle at a family reunion. They say, yeah, you only live once. I'm sure you've heard that before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I disagree. Um, you only die once. You live every day, and um, that's how I choose to live my life. You know, so you know. While I'm known for helping get the James Cedroga helping compensation act passed, not once, not twice, but three times. Um, in 2005, um, I worked on a small bill. I went to D.C. to make a video um, with the Sierra Club, and one thing led to another, and I started walking the halls of Congress. And um, some people picked up me going after members of Congress in the Senate, and they said, "Do you want to uh, help us get this bill passed?" I said, "Yeah." So I, I helped get a bill passed called the Walsh the Walsh Amendment, and um, the White House took 125 million dollars away from New York State Workmen's Comp because they weren't using it fast enough. And uh, after several trips to D.C., um, that money was restored with the help of then Senator Clinton, and it was attached to the Katrina emergency spending bill. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, as uh, soon as we got that done, um, they thought I was natural. <laughs> Um, you know, listen, my IQ hovers around room temperature. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't really bring anything to the table other than, uh, my friends call me rain, man. I'm a statistics freak. And I remember everything I say and do and read. And, um, other than except not accepting no for an answer when people suffer and hitting people with statistics and facts, um, I just surrounded myself with good people. Um, so After I got done, they asked asked me to come back, and there was a a thing called the 9-11 health bill, which was the James Cedroga Health and Compensation Act, but it had no name at the time. Then um, I started uh, the Feel Good Foundation, and this is a true story that not not many people know. I can't even take credit for coining the name of my foundation, and it bears my last name. (laughs) (laughs) But to show you my uh, IQ... um, I went to fill out the paperwork, um, and uh, when I went to submit it, the lady, um, she's like, "Honey, you didn't fill out all of this paperwork." And I said, "Well, I filled out everything, but the the title. You need to, you need to fill it out. It has to have a name of the foundation." I said, "I, you know, I didn't think it through." (laughs) And um, she goes, "What's your last name?" I said, "Feel." She goes, "Well, how about Feel Good Foundation?" I said, "Wow, you're good." Wow. (laughs) Right, and um. I said, but if I do that, it has to be F-E-A-L, and I want to make the G capital, you know, like <laughs> I, want, I want credit here, right? And she's like, "Baby, you can do whatever you want. And she was um, probably about 75 to 80 years old, probably a part-time worker for the town uh, county, and um, I never got a chance to thank her. And um, she really, she put me on the map, right? So, you know, when I first started, we were just um, a Band-Aid for a machine gun wound put food on people's tables, pay their utilities, um, keep a roof over their head. You know, when, you know, we've talked about uh, the legislation that I helped get passed. We've helped pass 13 pieces of legislation,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: five in D.C., five in Albany, two in New Jersey, and one in Michigan. But we've also donated about $8 million. And I'm proud of that because we've done that without soliciting donations. We don't send out emails and uh, stuff in the mail. Um, the feel good foundation is that their bedroom in my house, so I don't have an overhead. Um, so, you know, we also built a park on Long Island dedicated to those who have been died since nine 11 from their illnesses. It's called the nine 11 responders remember park. And I got one acre of land donated for a dollar and I built a million dollar park on it. So that's what I'm probably most proud of. But, you know, when I started the foundation, I had to surround myself with really good people. And um, many of those people are gone, and new people were brought on, and we had to keep reinventing ourselves as time went on. But, you know, we walked the halls of Congress for five, six years, and in 2010, we got the bill passed the first time. And I'll tell you another story that many people know. So in December of 2010, everybody had our bill dead on arrival. Nobody thought it would pass all the unions left, all the elected officials were going home for Christmas. But I I can't take no for an answer. And, um, you know, hence, you know, they call me a pain in the ass in D.C. Um, I took uh, about 12 of my best guys and we went to D.C. And then um, that night I told them what we were doing. And then I whipped out a lot of money. I said, this is bail money for everybody. If we get in trouble, I will bail you out of jail.
0: And and who who are these guys? The twelve guys? They're friends of yours? They're people that you've met? God, over no, the they years? were
1: my best. They were nine eleven responders. They were the best of my best. You know, because sometimes I took ten guys, sometimes I took twenty, sometimes I took forty, sometimes I took two hundred people. But these were my best, most loyal, dedicated people in meetings, and I knew they had my back, and I knew they would get arrested, not for me, but for the cause. And um, that morning. I sent them over to Chuck Schumer's office and um, they were going to wait for me there because I had to go over to Carolyn Maloney's office. Carolyn Maloney authored the bill in the House. And Chuck Schumer, I was supposed to have a meeting with because um, he didn't like what I said in the Daily News the day before when I said uh, Senator Schumer has to force feed um, has to slap a baby bib on Republican leadership and force feed the bill. And then my next quote was, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever it takes to get this bill passed. I'll park a bus in front of the airport. I won't let them go home. And, uh, Senator Schumer didn't like my quotes. I'll get back to that in a second. So they went over to Schumer's office. I went over to Maloney's office. And when I walked in there, the Capitol police are waiting for me. Four very nice Capitol police asked me what my, uh, what i was doing in dc and i said i'm here to get a bill passed we got two days left and then um they started to uh mm-hmm. ask if they could search me and my uh my briefcase and my knapsack and then carolyn maloney walked out of her office and she's like oh my god john feels here he's gonna save the day i said carolyn can you uh take care of this little issue <laughs> <laughs> and uh five minutes later I was taking selfies with the Capitol Police, exchanging patches and giving them T-shirts. Oh, so,
0: that's awesome. Um,
1: yeah. Then they uh, they gave me a a tram ride um, underneath the Capitol to the Senate. And they walked me over to Schumer's office. And um, there was my guys, my 12 guys. Now, these these were hardcore, ass-kicking, take-no-names type of guys. They were all rough around the edges. Mm. They were all burly, macho men. Um, and they were all 9-11 heroes. And um, they were just as fed up and pissed off as I was. But they were in front of Senator Schumer's office holding hands in a circle. And I was like, what the – what's going on here? And when it got close enough, they were doing a prayer circle with the Reverend Jesse Jackson.
0: Oh, no shit.
1: And, and they're holding hands, and Jesse Jackson going, I'm praying for the Feel Good Foundation. I'm praying for the 9-11. And I was like, what the – Oh my God. So I walk right past them and they're all, you know, smirking. And I go into Schumer's office and we had a heated, heated, contentious three minute meeting. Like, you can't say that. And I said, you can't tell me what the F to say. We're in the 11th hour. Everybody's gone. We're the only ones here. You better hope that we get this done and you guys are going to look like failures. This is not on us. It's on you. And I said, when I get this done... Let it be known that it was us that got this done and nobody else. So I come back out and, you know, I'm not going to lie. I curse from A to Z and Jesse Jackson heard it. And he's looking at me like, you know, the look of displeasure. <laughs> and I said, excuse me, sir. I am so sorry for cursing like that. He goes, I understand the frustration. <laughs> I said, guys, let's go. We got to get the fuck out of here. So what wound up happening with all of the shenanigans Senator Collins' office called the Capitol Police. And then the Daily News confronted them and they denied it. And then an hour later, they said, yes, we did it. It was just protocol. My guys were pissed. I took it as a badge of honor that we stopped D.C. in their tracks, that they were going to call the Capitol Police on us. But here's the thing. We had a meeting with Senator Collins' chief of staff at noon. So we go in there. And we sit down and Senator Collins chief says like John if the bill went on the floor today, wink wink the bill would pass. I said thank you sir, good enough for me. Let's get out of here. And my guys like well what do you what do you mean what do you mean wink wink it would pass? We want to know. I said guys let's go. And you know while they took my direction and my orders they don't always listen to me and you know I, I had to let them uh, get their frustration out. So I called over to Gillibrand's office and Maloney's office and said we just got number fifty nine. Because we had to get to 60 uh, uh, votes, uh, co-spons, uh, yes votes. And uh, we were at 59. And we needed one more. And an hour later, we had a meeting with Mikowski's office. And I sat down with the chief of staff while my guys were all in the hallway. And then I said, Nathan, can I bring these guys in? And he's like, yeah, bring them in. I want to meet them. And then I said, Nathan, do you have enough time to listen to all their stories? And he sat there and he listened to those stories. And I made the guys give the click notes of their stories. And then I said, Nathan, I know you're from New York, and I know everybody from New York, everybody from the United States, everybody from around the world is affected by 9-11, but this, this affects you personally. I need you to go to your boss and tell her she would be number 60. She would literally be saving tens of thousands of people. And um, within about 20 minutes, he came back to us and said she was getting on board. Now, here's, here's where it gets fun. My guys aren't that smart, but they're smart. I said, guys, you did a great job today. Go back to the hotel. The following morning, I had three buses coming down to 9-11 responders because if shit went south, I was going to let them run them up. Capitol Police weren't going to do anything to us. D.C. was leaving the following day. With that being said, um, I was in Schumer's office and Gillibrand's office. Um, But let me take you back really quick. Before that happened, um, we went into Harry Reid's office to tell – At that time, he was in charge of the Senate. He was the majority leader.
0: Yeah, this was uh, 2010, right? Before the election. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we're in Harry Reid's office, and the alarms go off, and we get locked in Harry Reid's office. And uh, CNN calls me, MSNBC, Fox, and everybody's like, what would you guys do? We heard that uh, DC's in a lockdown. I said, I swear to God, we did nothing. We're all in Harry. What are you guys doing to Harry Reid? I said, oh, my God. (laughs) And I had to put Harry Reid's uh, chief of staff on to let them know that we didn't do anything. And there was like some security breach and they were just protocol. And then we sat there for about a half an hour and they let us out. Then I sent my guys back to the hotel in the afternoon. And from that afternoon to about one in the morning, we negotiated with re- Republican leadership on a bill. And Schumer and Gillibrand invited me to be in the negotiation. And I was like, wow, because you know now you know, I'm, I'm tugging my IQ of about 78 into uh, negotiations with, with Senator Enzi and Coburn and Gillibrand and Schumer. And, um, Schumer comes back from one room and he's going back and forth to another room. And he's like, look, I need to know a number. I said, Senator, don't play. You got the number in your head already. Just tell them the number. And I'll say yes or no. He's like, "Phil, you got moxie. I like that. I so guess. I don't know what moxie means, but fuck, let's get this done. And, um, He comes back and he's like, I think I can do uh, 4.7. And I'm like, and he goes, I think I could do six years. So everybody was like, yeah, all right, six years. And I said, stop, no, do five. And everybody's like, what? I said, well, because this was a 10-year bill, then it was cut down to seven. And now they want to give us six, do five. And they're all like, what? Because five lands us on a presidential election year. Six brings us into a first year. Then we can't make this an election piece. And everybody's like, Wow, you're really good. I said, yeah, all right, whatever. Let's just get this done. (laughs) the fuck? I want to go home. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I went back to the hotel, and I slept for about three hours because uh, at 4.30 I was up. And um, I started doing the uh, 24-hour news circuit. And um, I told my guys to go wait for the buses. And I didn't tell them that we had a bill yet, you know, because um, I want everybody to be surprised. And then uh, we all met in front of the in front of Senator Gillibrand's office. I had about 300 people in the hallway, and um, Gillibrand's office took them all over to the Capitol, and they watched the bill get passed by unanimous consent. I stayed back; um, I could not go and watch it. And I sat in Senator Gillibrand's office. But when they all came back, uh, they were all crying, hugging, jumping up and down. And um, the first words out of my mouth is, "We got more work to do." And the way I'm talking to you now is the way um, I reacted when the bill got passed. I cannot celebrate when these pieces of legislation get passed, knowing that people already died and uh, people are still suffering. Um, So that's my mindset.
0: That's what I wanted to get to a little bit because it wasn't a moment of celebration because all along this process, people that you know are dying. First yeah. responders yeah. had been had been coming down with with cancer, respiratory issues, other ailments, uh and succumbing to it.
1: Yeah. But and, you know
0: go ahead. So I can you remind people what it what was in this bill um that was set up to help first responders. Well
1: let me tell you what wasn't in the bill when we got it passed in twenty ten. Yeah. Cancer. Cancer was not in the bill in 2010. So during that whole week of getting this bill passed, um, the day before I went to D.C., Jon Stewart called me. And Jon Stewart's like, hey, John Field, John Stewart, check this out. You're going to come on my show tonight. We're going to make fun of Republicans. We're going to embarrass them. We're going to help you get a bill passed. And I said, oh, my God, sir, I'm a huge fan. I can't. He's like, what do you mean you can't come on my show? I said, well, one, I didn't write a book. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. And um, two, I got to finish what I started. And I i can't let these people down. And I'm one of those people. And uh, he's like, man, I'm a man of integrity. You're rare. He's like, all right, give me four guys. We'll put them on the show tonight. You do what you got to do. And we'll talk when you get back. And um, I gave him four guys to go on the show. And John dedicated that whole show to them. And it, it really helped bring this story out of the shadow from like one news channel to all of the news channels. And um, I can't thank him enough. And ever since then, we've become uh, best friends. And then um, when we got the bill passed, we weren't getting cancer added. It was impossible. And I knew we had to go back with something to New York um, because if we went back with nothing, um, I would have failed. So five years, 4.7, whatever. No cancer it was better than nothing. But that bill for five years offered compensation and it offered free health care. And we got that for five years until 2015. But in 2011, I asked John to do a video so we can petition the Scientific Technical Advisory Committee, um, which is part of the bill. And we snuck that in the bill and Republican leadership didn't read it. And that committee is made up of advocates, uh, elected officials, doctors, scientists. And I stood in front of the committee and I said, I could tell you now um, you can vote no against adding cancer to the bill, but I will make your lives miserable. The rest, I will dedicate the rest of my life to hunting you all down. And when that was all said and done, we got four cancers added to the bill. And at that time was a huge uh, victory. But now we have 70 cancers. 70 cancers are now added to our bill. Jeez. So where we started and where we came from, um, just amazing. You know, in 2011, while we were fighting to get cancer added to the bill, Senator Schumer calls me. And he said, uh, John, um, Senator Rockefeller wants to know if you come back to D.C. I said, for what? He goes, well, oh, there's a thing called the interoperability bill. And that just went into effect about two years ago. And the interoperability is the all the radios failed on 9-11. The interoperability bill, God forbid, there would be another catastrophic event, man-made mother nature terrorist, all national law enforcement firefighters would be on the same frequency. Maybe a switch in DC to turn them on. So we made like seven or eight trips to DC and I did a press conference because it was the last recommendation made by the 9-11 commission on page 396. You can, you can double check me, um, And it was to recommend that this be put in place. And uh, I took the nine 11 commission at the uh, press conference and I ripped it in half. It's a thick book. And um, I said, well, if we're not going to follow this, why are we even here? We got that bill passed. And um, I can't thank my guys enough because I put them through the mill trying to get that bill passed. And then they, they joined me again in DC. But you know, in 2015, we had a, you know, we only had a five-year bill. We had to start all over again. And in 2015, we got um, 75 years of healthcare care until 2090. But we only got five years on the victim's compensation fund. So we knew we'd be back in D.C. in 2020. All right? I mean, you know, just do the math. Mm. But mm. in 2018, the special master, the DOJ, who administrates the compensated, compensation part of the James Cedro Gallatin Compensation Act, said she was going to run out of money, not make it to 2020. Senator Gillibrand introduced legislation in uh, March of 2019. But my guys and me, we were in D.C. in October, November, December, January, and February before her legislation was introduced, and we were getting support. Nobody knew we were down there. I was taking five or six guys at a time, and we were going to meetings, getting support off the radar, no media, no no social media. Um and when Senator Gillibrand introduced that bill we almost had enough co-sponsors already to get legislation passed. And then John Stewart came down in March with us and uh John walked the halls of Congress with us. And then in June we asked John to testify. And um I'm going to share a story with you guys. Um a week leading up to June 11th when John June 12th when John Stewart testified with Lou Alvarez who passed away uh, 18 days later. Um John wrote a speech and emailed me. He's like, What do you think of this? And I said, This is amazing. Um, you're using words, I don't even know what they mean. And um I said, But you're John Stewart, you're the best sit-down comedian ever. You have a way of articulating all of these important issues. Why would you write something to six people before you are gonna read a prepared speech? And he goes, I don't want to fail the guys. So all week John was tweaking his speech and sending it to me, and I was I was rattling his cage. And it's like, dude, whatever, you know, you want to read from a piece of paper? Go ahead. So uh, the night before John was to testify, um, firefighter Lou, uh, Ray Pfeiffer, FDMY, passed away in 2017, who was instrumental in helping 2015 get the bill passed. John gave the eulogy at Ray's uh, funeral, but Ray was also my best friend. And um, at Ray's golf outing the day before we were going to these, um, they had a, Raised fire coat, bunker gear, up for auction. And from D.C., I outbid everybody $7,000 for that jacket. Mm. And then I made them get that jacket to D.C. before John got there. And all 40 of my guys that I bought down there signed that jacket for John. So they were all waiting for John to come into the building. Um, and I was outside with John. And I gave John a letter. And it was on my letterhead. And I said, Dear John, this is my first Dear John This is my first official Dear John letter in 53 years on this planet. I love and I miss my mother dearly, and I love and I miss Ray dearly. Don't ever make me miss you because I love you dearly. And he was hysterical crying. And then we hugged and we cried. Then I took him inside where the guys are waiting in the hallway with the coat. And um, they gave John the coat, and um, he lost it again. And then we went inside, and they were all in the committee room, and I went into a sequestered room with John and the other people that were going to testify, and I kept writing. I said, John, put the speech away. But John kept reading it and writing notes on it and tweaking it. He's like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. And then we went out there, you know, and they all lined up. They started testifying. But John was the last one to testify. So while people were going, if you ever watched a video of that whole hearing, you would see me and John communicating whether we were whispering to each other or I was texting him. Um, And then Lieutenant Michael O'Connell, one of my team leaders testified and he did a great job, but he read from a prepared statement. And right after Mike went, Louis Alvarez uh, went. And Louis again, you know, passed away 18 days later after that. And um, you're not supposed to make any noise or cheer or clap in in a hearing, but to distract everybody, I stood up really quick and I started clapping. And we gave Louis a standing ovation. And in that distraction, I leaned over to John and I said, Top that bitch. <laughs> right? And, and I said, If if you're not fired up now, then nothing's going to get you fired up because a dying man just scolded Congress. So you know, everybody sat down and um, John rolled up his speech, tapped it on the table. And from there,
3: Uh, I'm still living the moment because it was perfection. I want to thank Mr. Collins, Mr. Naylor for putting this together. But uh, as I sit here today, I can't help but think what an incredible metaphor this room is for the entire process that getting health care and benefits for 9-11 first responders has come to. Behind me, a filled room of 9-11 first responders. And in front of me, a nearly empty Congress. Sick and dying, they brought themselves down here to speak to no one. It's shameful. It's an embarrassment to the country and it is a stain on this institution. And you should be ashamed of yourselves For those that aren't here, but you won't be because accountability doesn't appear to be something that occurs in this chamber. We don't want to be here. Lou doesn't want to be here. None of these people want to be here. But they are, and they're not here for themselves. They're here to continue fighting for what's right. Lou's gonna go back for his 69th chemo. The great Ray Pfeiffer would come down here, his body riddled with cancer and pain, where he couldn't walk. And the disrespect shown to him and to the other lobbyists on this bill... is utterly unacceptable. You know... I used to get, I, I, would, I would be so angry at the latest injustice that's done to these men and women. And, uh, uh, you know, another business card thrown our way uh, as a way of, of shooing us away, like children trick-or-treating, rather than the heroes that they are and will always be. Ray would say, calm down, Johnny, calm down. I got all the cards I need. And he would tap his pocket Where he kept the prayer cards, 343 firefighters. The official FDNY response time to 9-11 was five seconds. Five seconds. That's how long it took for FDNY, for NYPD, for Port Authority, for EMS to respond to an urgent need from the public, five seconds. Hundreds died in an instant. Thousands more poured in to continue to fight for their brothers and sisters. The breathing problem started almost immediately. And they were told they weren't sick, they were crazy. And then as the illnesses got worse and things became more apparent, well, okay, you're sick, but it's not from the pile. And then when the science became irrefutable, okay, it's the pile, but this is a New York issue. I don't know if we have the money. And I'm sorry if I sound angry and undiplomatic, but I'm angry, and you should be too, and they're all angry as well, and they have every justification to be that way. There is not a person here, there is not an empty chair on that stage that didn't tweet out, never forget the heroes of 9-11 never forget their bravery, never forget what they did, what they gave to this country. Well, here they are. And where are they? And it would be one thing if their callous indifference and rank hypocrisy were benign, but it's not. Your indifference cost these men and women their most valuable commodity. Time. So one thing they're running out of. This should be flipped. This hearing should be flipped. These men and women should be up on that stage and Congress should be down here answering their questions as to why this is so damn hard and takes so damn long, and why no matter what they get, something's always pulled back, and they gotta come back. Mr. Johnson, you you, you made a point earlier, and it was one that we have heard over and over again in these halls, and I I couldn't help but to answer to it, which was, you said, look, you know, you guys are obviously heroes, and 9-11 was a big deal, but, you know, we have a lot of stuff here to do, and, uh, you know, we got to make sure there's money for a variety of uh, uh, disasters, hurricanes, and tornadoes. But this wasn't a hurricane, and this wasn't a tornado. And by the way, that's your job anyway. We can't fund these programs. You can. Setting aside that no American in this country should face financial ruin because of uh, a health issue, certainly 9-11 first responders shouldn't have to decide whether to live or to have a place to live. The idea that you can only give them five more years of the VCF because you're not quite sure what's going to happen five years from now. Well, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen five years from now. More of these men and women are going to get sick and they are going to die. And I am awfully tired of hearing that it's a a 9-11 New York issue. Al-Qaeda didn't shout death to Tribeca. They attacked America and these men and women and their response to it is what brought our country back. It's what gave a reeling nation a solid foundation to stand back upon, to remind us of why this country is great, of why this country is worth fighting for. And you are ignoring them. And you can end it tomorrow why this bill isn't unanimous consent and a standalone issue is beyond my comprehension and i have yet to hear a reasonable explanation for why it'll get stuck in some transportation bill or some appropriations bill and get sent over to the senate where a certain someone from the senate will use it as a political football to get themselves maybe another new import tax on petroleum. Because that's what happened to us in 2015. And we won't allow it to happen again. Thank God for people like John Field. Thank God for people like Ray Pfeiffer. Thank God for all of these people who will not let it happen. They responded in five seconds. They did their jobs courage, grace, tenacity, humility, 18 years later, do yours. Thank you.
1: It was vintage John Stewart behind the desk at the Daily Show, where he he scolded Congress, he embarrassed them, and he was able to um, describe our pain of eighteen years um, in about eight to nine minutes. And um, I mean, if I was a score, if I was a judge, I would have gave him a ten 0. just for what he did and how he did it. And um, um, I'll I'll always be thankful for what he did. And I tell him this all the time, you know, because people ask me, do you think we would have got the bill passed without him? And I do. I do. But here's what happened. We saw a window of opportunity. Many of our allies and those who were helping us wanted us to wait to the end of the year to get this bill passed but The special master already started cutting awards 50 to 70 percent. So, if you were supposed to get a million dollars, um, you only need to get five hundred thousand dollars or three hundred thousand dollars. And, um, I told John, I said, John, look, if we do everything right, I can get a meeting with O'Connell, we can get this done before they go home in some summer recess. And John's like, dude, you're rain man, let's get this done. And, um, a week and a half later, after that meeting, uh, after that congressional hearing, Mitch McConnell gave me a meeting, and I took my five sixteen leaders with me, and uh, for a half an hour, um, we had a meeting with Mitch McConnell, and then Lou Alvarez gave me uh, his shield to give to Mitch McConnell, and when I when I was done ending the meeting, I leaned over to Mitch McConnell and shook his hand with the be- uh, shield in my hand. So this is from Lou Alvarez. It's not a gift. It's a reminder that you have a job to do. If it was me, I would not give you my shield because you're not worthy. But I want you to know, uh, while we disagree and we're never really ever going to agree on anything, you have a chance to do something right in your your career. And um, you guys can get this bill passed before you go home in uh, August for your summer recess. And he gave me his word that he would. He he gave me his word, and I believed him. And he actually started to tear and get watery eyed. And then I'm saying, holy fuck, Darth Vader has feelings. Mm-hmm. And um, we walked out of there, and we had to do an impromptu press conference with about 70 cameras in front of our face. And um, Fox News apologized for my saucy language that day because I cursed a couple of times, and um, I don't ever apologize for that. But I knew we were going to – and I knew we pissed off a lot of our allies, but I didn't care. And I had John's blessing. And then um, we still had to get the bill through the House now. And Pelosi and Hoyer were holding it up, and then John and I had a meeting with them. And we had – they saw it our way. Then I bet uh, Nancy Pelosi a dollar on the over and under – Uh, which was 390 yes votes. And she's like, honey, you're not getting that. I said, watch. And uh, I think we got 402.
0: No shit.
1: Yeah. And it was, uh, no, it was 400. It was 410 to 12. Wow. And uh, she paid up. And then um, the bill went to the Senate. And um, we, you know, when the bill went to the house, uh, do the house, I sat in Carol Maloney's office while my guys were in the chamber watching the vote, and to watch them see the fruition of their work when they were all crying and hugging—it's um, the best feeling in the world. And then um, a week later, a week and a half later, when the bill went through the Senate, um, that's that's when I um, I I exhaled because John Stewart went to the gallery with them to watch the Senate vote. And um, I had the over and under on 80, and um, I had a bet with Schumer and Gillibrand, and it was 97-2, um, which is just unheard of, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when I came out of Gillibrand and Schumer's office after watching it on TV, and me and John were in the hallway, I cried. I'm almost going to cry now, but it was like, um, it was 15 years Bent up frustration that had to come out, and um, it was a it was a good cry, and um, it was a cry of, I don't have to do this anymore unless I want to. I could have walked away right there. And you know, two weeks later, the bill went to um, the White House. Actually, I'm sorry, about a week and a half later, the bill went to the White House to be signed by the president. And uh, my guys got to go to the White House. And see their work come to fruition, and I'm so proud of them. And you know, the foundation bears my name. All of the interviews I did most of them, but I had my surrogates do a lot. But it's those men and women that I kept bringing to DC that deserve all the credit. They were taken from their families and their safety nets. They traveled to DC with life-altering illnesses that way that either took their lives or they were on oxygen tanks or in wheelchairs. And I had every one of their wives or widows call me and say, don't let my husband get sick. Don't let him die. The weight of the world was on my shoulder. And these men and women, um, they believed in me enough to fight for tens of thousands of people. And we never wavered from our game plan. And I'm never going to apologize for speeding up the process. Because if we would have waited to the end of the year, we would have been in the mess that you see now in D.C. And we might not have gotten legislation passed. And, you know, I'm 13 for 13 and getting legislation passed. And I like my numbers. And um, here we are today. And, you know, our work's not done. We're still putting people in the World Trade Center Health Program. We're still making sure people file their VCF claims. This is a 24-hour thing. This is all the time. But we're now working on um, the burn pits for the soldiers coming back from Iraq, Afghanistan, the Mideast, North Africa, who were affected by the aftermath of the burn pits. And they're the same cancers and same respiratory illnesses as 9 11 responders. These men and women who risk these ordinary people who do extraordinary things 24 7 to keep us safe from harm's way were poisoned by their own federal government. These people dug these big pits. And burnt ammunition, rifles, guns, weapons, computers, clothes, food, waste, body parts from the amputees. Doesn't sound so bad, but they started the fights with jet fuel. And jet fuel is like one of the <laughs> biggest things at ground zero for causing cancers.
0: I was going to say, it's the same... It's yeah. the same thing as, yeah. as
1: well. And, you know, and, you know, nine eleven responders, we worked there, we ate there, we slept there, we cried there, we went to the bathroom there. The absorption through the nose, mouth and skin, these toxins. You know, when we said we were sick in the early 2000s, getting a bill passed the first time in 2010, they're all out they're making it up. Ah, no, you're all crazy. You're not sick. Science finally caught up to us and gave us validity. And trust me, I always go back to being self-deprecating. I'm not that smart. But my Lord, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out that jet fuel and benzines and the toxins cause these cancers. Everybody's immune system's different. Some people got sick right away. Some people got sick 10 years ago, five years ago. Some people are getting sick today. And the same thing now is happening with these soldiers. So when we were walking the halls of Congress last year, there was a young lady from the Burn Pit 360 organization. She saw all the work that we've done. And she asked if I would get involved and help them. They were at it for 10 years and, and embarrassed me and a shameful me said, can I look into this? And as soon as I found out, I said, Rosie, yes, ma'am. I want to help whatever you need from me. She's like, can you ask John Stewart? I said, absolutely. And me and John have already done work in the, non, uh, in the veteran community anyway. I went to the warrior games with John. John had me work with several organizations. This November, the Pat Tillman Foundation is honoring me. And I don't even know why, because I'm not that important. But when I, me and John got on board, we met them in DC in March, right before the pandemic started. We would have introduced, uh, introduced legislation by then, but we had to take a back seat to the pandemic. But we stayed every week doing a Zoom call with all of the principal players. And we have planned and strategized. And then in September, We held our first uh, press conference slash mini rally and um, Senator Gillibrand introduced legislation along with Congressman Riaz from uh, uh, California. And we now have legislation. And while we're not going to get anything done this year and it will have to start all, we have momentum going into next year. And on November 11th on Veterans Day, we're going back to D.C. We're going to do another press conference. We're going to bring more people with us this time. I'm going to feed everybody. And I'm going to let us sit out there on the Capitol lawn and embarrass Congress and the Senate to let them know that we'll be back next year when they open the door. And we're going to storm the castles. And I'm going to take my best guys that walked the halls of Congress with me for 15 years. And I'm going to embed them in teams with the military. I'm going to show them how to lobby and educate the uh, members of Congress and the Senate. We know every square inch of those buildings, there's nowhere that they can hide from us. And we're going to get legislation passed next year. I guarantee it. I'll bet my one kidney. And um, this is not a game. This is not to stroke my ego. This is my only agenda is to help these men and women. You know, we say thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you. That's great. And it goes a long way, but it doesn't go far enough. I'm going to say, thank you for your service. I want to help you get legislation. And then I can honestly say, I thank the vet. And before I'm a 9-11 responder, I'm a veteran of the 101st Airborne. I was in the military. And I know the brotherhood of that. And I know what they're going through. And um, I think as we go moving forward and more and more Americans um, hear about this, um, more and more Americans are going to get on board like they did with us on the on the 9-11 issues um you know we spend so much money training these men and women to fight wars then we should save some money for when they come home when they're not complete when they lose a body part or when they have a brain injury or when they're burning from the inside out from the aftermath of burn pits you know shame on uh our military shame on our federal government. Shame on anybody who doesn't think these men and women deserve help. These are people that volunteer. They're not forced to join the military. Nobody volunteers for the military to come home and make it up and say, I'm sick. Right. That's just the most absurd thing. And we've already had these conversations with members of Congress. So, um, you know, I'm not here to make friends. If I make friends, then great. Because that's part of the journey. And that's the best feeling in the world, knowing that I made lifelong friends. But when I say I'm not here to make friends, that means we're Congress or the Senate. I'm going to challenge their humanity. And we're going to force them to do what's right. And while they're not going to like it, and they're going to fake it, just like on the day of 9-11, on November 11th, they all post on their websites or Twitter that they support our military, they support our first responders. And they blow a lot of smoke up America's ass. But I don't care if you're a Republican or I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, black, white, short, tall, skinny, Muslim, Jewish, Catholic. Just don't be an asshole to each other and be a human being. And that's how I live my life. You know, when you can, I believe in the political process. But when you can remove yourself from a political affiliation, you start to find peace with yourself. I believe in God. God, I believe in God so much. I pray to him or her all the time, but I can remove myself from a religion and just believe in God. It's okay. It's not illegal. And I can now remove myself from a political affiliation and a religion. The two things that separate us the most gives me the ability to be at peace when I make my decisions. Because my decision making is to help the masses, not myself. And there's no agenda. When I get off this interview, I can leave and never do another thing and say, I helped pass 13 pieces of legislation, donated a kidney, donated $8 million, built a park and done a bunch of other cool things. And my life's complete, but I'm not done. My journey's not over. And the beauty of it is I don't know when my journey's going to be over. But I'm okay with what I've done so far. But it's definitely not enough knowing that hundreds of thousands of soldiers are sick and dying. It's unacceptable.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. And this is, it, 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 you you talked about going there to uh, embarrass or shame them into action. And, you know, a lot of people, and I don't know how you do it. I don't know. I don't know how we can get them embarrassed or shamed enough to actually do the work that needs to get done. And a good example is is with the, the HEROES Act, uh, okay. where the president tweeted out that they're no longer going to be negotiating to pass economic relief or stimulus okay. in the wake of COVID. And it shouldn't have come t- as a surprise to anyone that Congress and the legislative branch were incapable of coming together on a human level, not a political level, a human level, yeah. to you know, they, deal with the suffering of, of the people in the, this country. The key
1: word in that whole sentence was tweet. Mm-hmm. Members of Congress, the Senate, the White House, um, there's no more legislative process. It's who tweets the fastest, who's the wittiest. And who has the most followers? Um, There's no more, let's sit down and negotiate. There's no more, let's put aside our differences. Let's compromise. There's no more of that. And um, I'm confident that we're going to bring part of that back next year. I I truly am. With that being said, um, millions of Americans uh, to this right now who have lost their job, who are living off of benefits, that uh, their benefits ran out cannot pay their utilities, pay their rent, pay their mortgage, put food on their table. We cannot honestly, openly, proudly say we are the greatest country in the world where we're letting Americans uh, die, not only from a pandemic, but from starvation or even suicide because they feel like failures. This is is a crime against humanity. And I hold everybody accountable. And again, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or you want to Say something mean about me on the internet because I don't I don't give a fuck, but I know I'm right. I know I'm right when I say everybody's to blame. Everybody is to blame, but to have a bill sitting on the table for months and then use it as a political bargaining chip and then to start negotiating and then move the goal line because one party didn't like it or the White House didn't like it, it's the American people that suffer. Because of incompetence, poor leadership, and corruption, the American people are suffering. That is unacceptable. That is disgusting. And that I hope everybody on November 3rd votes. And I don't care if you vote Republican or Democrat. Don't bitch and moan. Don't be an internet junkie if you don't vote. You have to vote. And then you have the license to bitch and moan and say what's on your mind. But I talked to so many people, I'm not voting. I'm disgusted. Well, then you're going to get the next two years, four years, or whatever of that same bullshit. Mm-hmm. Vote for those who are going to be willing to work with the other side. Vote with those who are going to make a difference. Fucking vote. It's not that hard. You know, when I, in March and April, I had COVID and pneumonia. Mm. I don't talk about it much. But it was the second time that I was ever really, truly humbled besides my injury. And I was scared. And I thought I was going to die. And it was six weeks of what is wrong with me. I can't believe this. I'm John. This doesn't happen to me. And when I started getting better, the first thing I did was donate $50,000 in mass to the FDNY and the NYPD. And then I got all of the law firms that made money off of my work. And I said, oh, I want donations because I want to feed every hospital on Long Island and New York City. And we did. And I made a difference. But it couldn't, I couldn't sustain it, nor could they. But me, with limited resources, if I could do that, then Congress or the Senate could surely pass a HEROES Act and come out with the stimulus package. You got airlines, 100,000 people out of work, furloughed, when they lost their job, they lost their health insurance. And then you got a Senate who wants to take away pre-health care. They want to get rid of Medicare. The, the, if you're not paying attention, you will be shocked and surprised in a few years what's happening. If you don't vote, it's that simple.
0: And I I encourage everybody to do a little research on the on the HEROES Act because it fits into exactly what we're talking about. uh, Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you you know, you know, in the beginning, you remember when they were calling uh, nurses, doctors, firefighters, uh, uh, frontline workers. Mm -hmm. Remember that Mm -hmm. frontline work?
0: Yeah. essential workers.
1: Essential work. Let me tell you something. The American people were the frontline workers, even though many of us weren't working. We were the front line of defense. All we had to do was wear a mask and play boogie, hide and seek from the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Those cops, doctors, nurses, essential workers, they were our last line of defense. And we made their work harder because many of us didn't play hide and seek from the boogeyman. Many of us didn't want to wear a mask. And many of us wound up getting sick, making their work harder. They truly are our last line of defense, not our first line. That was our job. That was our responsibility. And we fucked up. And now we get ahead of it and we're doing good and we're going right back to it because of poor leadership, bad politics and corruption. And part of this country wants to listen. Part of this country doesn't want to listen. Part of this country, they think that, listen, I thought I was invincible. I thought I would never get hurt. I thought I'd never get sick. (laughs) I got sick and I got hurt. So good luck.
0: Let's leave it there for now. I know you got to jump. If anybody uh, wants to learn more, you can go to the website and donate and uh, educate yourself on what the foundation is doing. The website is feelgoodfoundation.com. That's F E A L, goodfoundation.com. John Feel, uh, I got to tell you, man, this is, it was an honor. Uh, talking to you, I hope that we have an opportunity to to, to talk again and do a, a second episode, a third episode, as we get a little bit closer to, to passing legislation for the veterans uh, in relations to the burn pits. That's a that's a really serious issue uh, that I want to stay on top of and 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 learn more about from you.
1: Well, I, I, I and I hope you have me back. And um, you know, uh, anybody listening to this. You know, uh, moveon.org has a petition from John Stewart and John Field. We have about 230,000 signatures. Um, You know, if you can get your viewers to sign that uh, petition um, at moveon.org, that would help because that means the American people are speaking. And, um, you know, we have our differences, but I think we have more in common than our differences. And I think when things like 9-11 happen or our soldiers come home sick, uh, Americans, no matter what, um, share the same values and get angry or disgusted by how people are being treated. And, and I hope everybody comes together for this one.
0: Hmm. Me too. All right. I know you got to jump for an appointment. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, sir. You got it. All right. Good for now.
2: You've been playing Did you want, did I
0: i don't like but it's important a lot of podcasts release new episodes on monday but we cover issues that impact people every day so we release new episodes as soon as they're complete make sure to subscribe to get notified when new episodes are available you can subscribe on anchor apple podcasts google podcasts breaker spotify or anywhere podcasts are available you can even visit our website at gfnpodcast.com and subscribe to get notified before an episode is even released. This podcast is all about keeping the conversation going, so we want to hear from you. Be a part of the conversation by leaving us a voice message at anchor.fm backslash good dash four dash now. Nobody's going to remember that. Nobody. All right, I'll say it again. anchor.fm backslash good Dash four dash now. If you remember that, leave me a message. If you leave us a voice message, there's a good chance we'll play it on an upcoming episode and talk about it. Tell us how much you love an episode or how much you hate it and why, or ask us a question that maybe deserves more attention and we'll try to answer it. If you don't want to leave us a voice message, you can still be part of the conversation by sending a secure email on our website at gfnpodcast.com. We talk about a lot of problems in the world, but we also talk about solutions. So stay informed and stay connected and subscribe now.
2: in the air, Next time I see him, Lully had a family's love.